Thanks, Mark. Good morning, church. It's, uh, it's always a pleasure to be with like-minded believers in the Lord. Even though I don't know all of you, we are all united in Christ. Amen? And so that is a good, good thing. Uh, my name is Brett Ricely. I'm married to Nicole. Uh, we've had two kids named Jonathan and Maddie. I should have put a picture in the slides. I'm sorry about that. They're beautiful people. They're better looking than me. Um, so sorry about that. You have to look at me instead of them. Um, but I'm excited to be with you this morning. Our message is going to be from Ephesians chapter 6. So if you've got your Bibles physically or on your tablets or phones, tap or turn to Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to be there in just one moment. The, the title of the message today is Family Discipleship, the Right Design. Uh, one of the things that I'm passionate about is trying to live my life and equip the church as a pastor at a church in Urbandale. I'm at a church called the Mission Church, and I'm the pastor of discipleship there. One of the things that we are passionate about trying to equip believers to do and to understand is what is God's design for everything and anything in life and bringing our life into submission to God's design, whatever that might be. And so today, as I talk about family discipleship, the temptation for some of you, whether you're a college student and you're single, maybe you're an empty nester, you might say, oh man, this is going to be a message that's not applicable to me. I want to encourage you to not check out, because as the body of Christ, what we learn from God's Word is applicable to all of us in the room, because it's God's Word. Amen? And so even though you might not have kids or you might say, well, I don't know how this applies to me, it's still important for you to know what God's Word has to say about the family because as a body of Christ, we are a family, right? And so even though you may not be directly impacted by this, I believe God's Word is timeless and true for every person and there's something for you today, not to mention your connectedness to each other as the body. So why a message on family discipleship? Here's three reasons. One, because family is a vital part of the Great Commission, right? It's how the Great Commission is going to be fulfilled, and I believe the Great Commission begins in our homes. Number two, because the foremost and primary mechanism that God has designed to influence children toward faith in Jesus Christ is their parents. And parents, you have the most potential to be the most spiritually influential person in the life of your kids. You have the potential to be. And number three, because so many families in our country and in our churches have gotten so off track from family discipleship, they're distracted, they're overcommitted, and they're out of alignment with God's design, and they're not actually pursuing God's design for a Christian family at all. And so, as I, as I hope to encourage you this morning from God's Word to bring whatever might be out of alignment into alignment with His Word and His truth today. So the pressing question for us is, what is God's design for the family? And that's what we're going to see in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. It should be up on the screen. Follow along up there or in your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4 says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Would you pray with me briefly? Father God, uh, I ask now, as we have opened your word and we have read it aloud, I pray that you, Holy Spirit, would be the teacher in this room in this moment. Make me usable for your purposes for this body today. May I be an encouragement 
and a blessing to them as you will, in Jesus' name, amen. So what is God's intended design for the family? Well, this, we're going to see one thing right off the gate. In your, if you've got a note guide this morning, there's going to be a couple of fill-in-the-blanks. But truth point number one, I think, is where we need to start whenever we open God's Word. Truth point number one is this. God's design for anything and everything must always be the source of our directives. God's design for the family will always transcend and supersede anything that is self-centered in our pagan culture that seeks to lead us astray. So whatever God's Word says, God's design is in here. Whether it's family, marriage, sexuality, parenting, money, missions, church life, all of it, God's Word has something to say, and this book must be the source of our directives. And so we're going to look at that and see four different directives in the text today about what it means to be a family on mission uh, with God. But before we look at those four directives, I want to point out an observation. Maybe you've already noticed it, but when I read verse 1 of chapter 6, did you notice who Paul addresses first? Who does he address first? Children. Children, obey your parents. And so kids, how many of you are kids? Raise your hands if you are a kid, right? The Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote a letter, and the very first people that he addressed in this chapter is you. I think that's amazing that Paul shows us and we see the value of children, not just boys, not just girls. He says children. So Paul's bringing value to children, and he's speaking and writing this letter as if he understood and would know that this letter would have been read in the congregation like this today to say, children, obey your parents. I think that's amazing that we see that this letter was written specifically to children as well as to parents, but Paul's not neglecting children. He was expecting them to be sitting under the authority of God's Word as well. Parents, take note of that as well. If you're wondering, well, how do I walk with my kid in faith? How do I help them understand the Word? Read it to them. (laughs) Read it to them. They may not understand everything, but man, opening God's Word and letting it breathe in your home and letting the Holy Spirit work through it is a powerful thing. So I just wanted to point that out, that children, you are being spoken to directly through the Apostle Paul in this passage. So now, let's look at these four directives. We're going to go in order. They're in your note guide as well. So four directives that Paul gives the family. Directive number one, and it's to children. Children, children must obey their parents. Uh Uh-oh, kids, are you listening? (laughs) I've got two kids, and sometimes obedience is a hard topic, right? But we see in verse 1 that Paul says, children, you must obey your parents. This is a good, God-honoring thing. Now, this word obey is really the idea of attentively listening, listening to not just hear, but also to understand and to do. And we know that obedience to Jesus is not much different, is it? We listen to God's Word and the Holy Spirit to not just listen to the words, but to understand and then to do. And the same is there too. We see in Colossians 3.20, the Apostle Paul says the same thing. He says, children, obey your parents in everything for this, is, this pleases the Lord. So children, how many of you want to please God by the way you live your life? Raise your hand. You want to please God? I, that is amazing. One of the best ways you can do that is to obey mom and dad. Because God's Word just gave you that promise. It pleases the Lord when you obey mom and dad. Now, mom and dads, we don't always know what we're doing, do we? Do we? No, we don't. It's okay to admit that. But it's still, children, follow us as best as we can. 
And so children, I want to encourage you to obey mom and dad because it's right, it pleases the Lord, and there will be a promise for you in that as well. Now, parents, I want to speak to you for a second on obedience. Uh, I don't have enough time to talk about all sorts of things related to discipline and all of that. However, I want to encourage you to take these teachable moments when disobedience does happen, as we know that it will, and leverage those moments to speak and to teach the gospel. When my, I have a five-year-old little girl. She's very, very active. She's a tornado of energy, and she's just like her dad, very opinionated, passionate, and always talking. <laughs> and so there's times where we have to discipline her, but what I'm learning, what God's teaching me, is that when I talk to my daughter, I say, Maddie, you know, the reason that you disobeyed mom and dad is because you have a heart that wants to go away from what mom and dad says. Your heart actually is leading you to sin. And the reason that Jesus Christ had to come to this earth and die on the cross is because you and I have a heart that always wants to do what's wrong. And we needed somebody and something to change our heart. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit through the power of the gospel. And that's why Jesus had to come. And so when you sin against mom and dad, we're actually seeing that this is why Jesus had to come and die to take all of the punishment that you and I deserve for our mistakes. Jesus took that upon himself on the cross and died for us so that we don't have to face the punishment someday. And if by believing in Jesus Christ by faith alone, we can be redeemed, forgiven, and adopted into God's family. No punishment, no wrath. And so there's an opportunity to teach our kids the glory of the gospel, even in the midst of their mistakes. And so don't miss those moments. It's not just about behavior modification, parents. It's about heart transformation. And the gospel is the only thing that transforms a human heart. Amen? So let's, let's keep that in mind. Directive number two. Directive number two. Again, this is to children, so children keep paying attention with me. Directive number two. Children must honor their parents. Why? Well, in verse two it says because it's a commandment. This comes from Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 verse 12 that says, Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So this statement comes with a blessing and a promise. The blessing is that it may go well with you, children, when you honor your parents. And the promise is that you would live long in the land. Now, that doesn't necessarily equate to just transactional things that, oh, if I obey mom and dad, I'm going to get lots of money someday, or I'm going to get into the college that I want to go to. It's not that way. But there is obviously a positive blessing from the Lord. When we obey our parents, we honor our parents, there's blessing and promise that God has intended for you as you walk in accordance with his design. So children, obey mom and dad. Honor them. And ways that you can honor them is by listening and respecting them and doing whatever they ask with a good attitude and a cheerful heart. So clearly, this is a blessing for you. But then now we get into verse, we get into verse 4. Uh, directive number 3, we're talking now to fathers. Directive number 3, fathers must not provoke their children to anger. Now this might sound kind of strange, like, well, why would Paul have to say that? Why, I mean, what dad wants to provoke their children? Well, in the Roman context, in the church in Ephesus, when Paul was writing this to the Ephesian believers, the Roman context then, fathers were known to treat children very harshly, especially the boys. And so Paul seems to be speaking directly to that issue back then, culturally. Fathers would have been very harsh with men, uh, with the boys. And in addition, in chapters 4 and 5, 
Paul talks a lot about how a Christian should behave. He talks about putting off the old self, putting away anger, bitterness, slander, corrupting talk, crude joking, poor speech. All of these are character qualities that Paul would have expected a Christian father to exemplify in the home in how he treats his children. And so, uh, dads, I just want to encourage you. you. You may have strong opinions, and you are called to be the leader of your home. That is true. But do not lord it over your kids. Do not lord it over them in a way where you want to just have power and control. That provokes the children, I think, to, to anger in the way that we lead. And so let's be humble. Let's be Christ-like servants in our homes. Yes, we have the leadership. Yes, God's put us in charge. But, that, but as you even look at King Jesus, did Jesus wield a strong sword with everybody and just pull the power card at every turn? No. He washed their feet. He served. He spoke truthfully, but he also spoke gracefully. So fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. Do not be harsh with them. And then directive number four, again, we're still talking to fathers here. So fathers, I hope you're paying attention. Fathers must raise their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Now again, I think it's interesting to note that Paul didn't say, parents, bring up your children in the instruction of the Lord. Now, of course, moms and dads are you have a role together to play. This is not meant to diminish mother's role. It is not meant to say, moms, you do not have a place in the instruction and the discipline of your kids. We see that in other places in Scripture. And so this is not intended to say, why don't you sit aside and we're going to let dad handle this. At the same time, it is very important to note that Paul specifically looks at fathers right in the eye and says, fathers, bring up your children in the instruction and the discipline of the Lord. Um, and so I want to encourage moms real quick, in Proverbs 1, 8 and 9, and also in Proverbs 6, 20, it says essentially the same thing. It says, hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are graceful garlands to your head and pendants around your neck. And so moms, you have just as much of an important role as dad, but at the same time, Fathers, you have been kind of looked at by the Apostle Paul to say, you are supposed to lead the way in this. You are supposed to set the pace in your home and to be the first one leading the way in the instruction of your children and the discipline of your children. So I want to unpack this and spend a little bit of time here because I think fathers, a lot of us are checked out on this. And I really want to challenge you and encourage you, if you are a dad, to really pay attention. So when we look at this instruction, we see three pieces of this. We see bring them up. We see discipline, we see instruction. So let me unpack all three of those real quick for you. Bring them up. So in the Greek text, this is in the present, imperative, active. All that means is it means do it now. It's a command and it's a verb, <laughs> right? Do it now. It's, it's an active thing you should be doing. It's a command and you should be doing it actively today, okay? You should be doing it regularly. This is actually the exact same word that Paul uses in Ephesians 5.29 when he says nourish or nurture. And so when it says bring them up in the instruction of the Lord, Paul is essentially saying, dads, fathers, nurture your children in the instruction and the discipline of the Lord. Raise them up, cultivate them, spiritually nurture them toward maturity in Christ. 
This isn't a one-off thing. This isn't a one-day event. This isn't an annual retreat. This is a lifelong journey of cultivating the soil of their hearts, spiritually nourishing and cultivating an environment of faith and discipleship in the home. It's letting them see your life, your heart, your failures, your successes, as well as your active pursuit of Jesus. You're cultivating an environment and nurturing them in the Lord so that they see that faith is not just something we talk about at church, it's something we live all week long. You've probably heard it said when it comes to discipleship that more is caught than taught. Have you heard that? More is caught than taught, meaning I could talk to you all day long about what to do and how to do it and all these things, but if you were to live with me for a week or two or three, you would see a lot of other things and go, oh, that's interesting, maybe I should do that. You'd also see a lot of flaws because Brett's human, Um, but you would see more is caught than taught. So when you are telling your kids to live a certain way or to do a certain thing, but you don't live that, your modeling is teaching them. Your modeling is teaching them. So what are you modeling, Dad? What are you modeling, mom? Because it's easy to sit in this room and to tell kids what to do. It's hard to live that life all week long, isn't it? So parents, bring them up, nurture them. Talk about your values. Talk about your beliefs. Talk about why you do what you do. Talk about the motives that you have behind the decisions you make. Talk about your experiences. Share your testimony with your kids. How many of your kids have heard your testimony? of how you came to faith in Jesus Christ? Have you told them that? Do they know who you used to be before Christ and how you are who you are now? Do they know that story? Do they know why mom and dad are even following Jesus at all? Do they know why you're even a part of this church? Why be here? What's the point? Why is it important? Those are great conversations for kids in the home. Make it normal to talk about spiritual things and spiritual realities in the home. Wherever you go, So that's kind of a little bit what it means to bring them up. We're nurturing, we're cultivating, we're creating an environment of nurturing them in spiritual things. Secondly, then, let's talk about the word discipline. When you hear the word discipline, you likely have a variety of thoughts that go through your head, right? Whether it's discipline and punishment. Um, But how does the Bible define discipline? Well, the Bible defines discipline primarily as the process of teaching, instruction, and correction by which one learns to be obedient to God or parents, which results in blessing, maturity, and a life that is pleasing to God. So if you think about a disciplined person, a disciplined person is likely a more mature person. They're likely a person that has a life that is pleasing to God, a life that's well-ordered. And to withhold discipline from your kids is actually to do them a very great disservice. And I'm not going to get into all of that today with parenting and spanking, all that kind of stuff. That's for another time. But Proverbs 13, 24 says this, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. I'm not advocating to tell you exactly how to discipline your kids. The point of that passage is that if you don't discipline your kids, if you do not seek to correct them or to help them understand their behavior, you're actually doing them a great disservice. And actually, it's very unloving to let a child run rampant, so to speak. It's actually very unloving to not correct them and to help them understand what is right. And we see that in our culture all day. Look what's happening when children get to pick the way they live their life. (laughs) 
when children choose what they want to do and how they ought to live, look how, look how that goes. It's a terrible, terrible thing to let a child think that they know better than a parent. But parents, we're supposed to call to nurture that gently, graciously, humbly, but boldly and with a direction in God's design. You know, Hebrews chapter 12 has a lot of interesting passage about discipline as well. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but you can read it from Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. I'm going to read 5, 6, and 11. It says, My son, do not regard, the light, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. And for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, listen to this, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Do you notice all the intentional language in there? That it doesn't seem pleasant in the moment, but it yields a peaceful harvest of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. How many of you guys know what it means to go through training, right? Training in sports, training for work. You got to go through the things. You got to learn this and that. You got to practice. You got to practice. The author of Hebrews is saying it's not different for discipline. A disciplined life is a disciplined life where we're learning to be trained in the ways that we ought to go, and it will yield righteousness if we're trained by discipline. And so children need to be trained in discipline so that they cultivate righteousness in their life. And parents, are, 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 are we much different? When you have a disciplined life of reading the word, prayer, fasting, worship, service, all these things that we do, if we are disciplining and training ourselves, does that not produce righteousness in us? It does, right? 20 years of reading the Bible every day, will that not produce a harvest of righteousness in your soul? It will. In the same way, godly discipline is a clear part of the discipleship process of your kids helping them understand right from wrong, but also why right is right and wrong is wrong. Godly discipline is a good thing. It will result in blessing. And godly discipline produces righteousness in us when we're trained by it. This also is in accordance with Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Notice again, train, the word training again. Train up a child. So this is a lifelong process of constantly training them in the way they should go. Then lastly, instruction. What does this word mean? This word is used only three times in the New Testament, but it carries the idea of admonition, counsel, and warning through teaching. We see this in 1 Corinthians 10 as well as in Titus 3. This is the idea of improving a person's reasoning, their thinking skills, so that they can see life through the lens of God's truth. Okay, let me say that again. Instruction is the process of improving a person's reasoning skills so that they can see all of life through the lens of God's truth. The majority of problems we have today in the world with Christianity is most people don't think or live through the lens of this book, right? We live outside of this. We live extra things. We aren't looking at the world through the lens of Scripture Imagine the Bible being the set of glasses that you wear, and when you look at anything in the world, the lens, the glasses, the word is what's supposed to filter how you see the world. So when I look at politics, when I look at marriage, when I look at parenting, when I look at money, when I look at whatever, hopefully I'm trying to look through the lens of Scripture 
so that I can understand what does God's word have to say about these things, and then how must I live in those things based on what this book says. And so when I'm instructing my children, it's not good enough to just say, don't do that because I said so. <laughs> That's a pretty common tactic that we use, isn't it? In better conversation would be, you know, we don't do that in our home because God's word says that this is wrong, and God actually has a better design for us. And let's look at that in Ephesians 4 or whatever it might be. What better way to train our kids? Why don't we do that, Dad? Great question. Let's see what God's Word has to say. Why don't we participate in this, Dad? Great question. Let's open God's Word and see what it has to say. Right? We're teaching our children that the first place they should go when answering life's biggest questions is here. Right? And helping them develop a biblical worldview is a part of that instruction. So parents, you are God's good plan in instructing your children and pointing them to what is true and good and right in this book and to raise children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. It's a command. It's a command for moms and dads. We can read about that in Deuteronomy 6, which we're going to read in our benediction today at the end. We see it here. The Apostle Paul is looking right at fathers, saying, Fathers, you must do this. You must lead the way prayerfully, intentionally. And so again, uh, I just want to look, I just want to say one more thing to fathers, and I hope you don't feel like I'm being too, too hard on you this morning, but I, I honestly believe, um, and, and Pastor Mark and I talked about this a little bit last night, about the importance of fathers. Um, fathers, first and foremost, I want to encourage you with all my heart to get your priorities straight. And your priority number one is Jesus Christ. If you are not abiding in Jesus Christ daily and loving him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, your priorities are out of whack and you're living in disobedience. Your number one priority in all of life, there's no arguing this book. If you are a Christian, your number one priority in all of life must be Jesus Christ. If it is not, you are out of alignment, you are living outside of God's design, and you will not lead your home well. Your number one priority is King Jesus. King Jesus, Lord, Master, Ruler, Savior, King. That's your number one priority. Now, if you are married, then your number two priority is your wife. Your number two priority is your wife. If you're not prioritizing leading her, spiritually cultivating her, then your priorities are out of whack and you need to work on that. Priority number three, dads, is your kids. Priority number three is the discipleship and the spiritual leadership of your children. If you are not doing that, you are living in disobedience and your life is out of whack. This book tells us that. Priority number four is your job or church. So for me as a pastor, my ministry is priority number four. And if I am not leading my wife and my kids, then, then ministry, who cares? I will stand before God and he will say, how did you lead your wife? How did you cultivate your home? What, what happened with your kids? That's on me. Did you raise your kids to know Jesus? And as many pastors could say, well, but, but, but Jesus, look at the church that I build. Look at how many people came. Look at how many programs, yada, yada, yada. And, and he's going to say, but I didn't ask you to do that as much as I asked you to lead your family. Your, your family only has one you. Churches have pastors that come and go. We have people that come and go. We have churches all over the place. But your family only has one you, dads. And 
again, I, I say this out of a place of, of humility because I make mistakes every single day. I do not have my priorities in line all the time. I am imperfect, so I'll be the first to say I've failed at this at times, but I'm seeking to walk in alignment with God's plan. But fathers, you have to hear me today. You are the spiritual leader of your home. You have been designed by God to lead, to set the pace, to set the direction, and to be the primary role model in your home of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And you cannot be a disciple maker if you are not a disciple. So that's why you have to abide in Christ. You need to be a disciple, then you need to make disciples. And dads, you are the ones that are supposed to lead the way with discipling your kids. And so let me just be completely, I mean, probably will never get invited back after this, we'll see. But dads, here's the deal. If you don't have time, energy, and margin to lead the way in discipling your kids, you're too busy doing all the wrong things. I mean, just think about it. No one at your workplace is going to care how many late nights you spent 40 years from now. Your kids will. Your wife will. And we wonder why so many kids walk away from the faith when they go off to college. I will submit to you it's because most of those kids grew up in good Christian homes like a lot of ours, but had parents that did not disciple their kids, and then they just go into church, and then they leave and they go off to college, and because they've never been cultivated and discipled and actually led to follow Jesus Christ, well, when there's nobody telling them they have to go, why don't they go? Because they don't actually have a faith of their own at all. They never did. That's one of my theories. So parents, we want to see the kids stop leaving the faith, then why don't you disciple your kids while they're in your home? Disciple your children. If you're too busy doing other things, you're too busy doing the wrong things. And I'm sorry if that sounds harsh this morning. I'm just trying to give you the word of God and to encourage you to put your priorities in the right order. Jesus, spouse, children, everything else. This is God's design. It's the right design. Truth point number two. I've got to get back on track here. Truth point number two. The church is an important and vital supplement for family discipleship. But the home is designed to be the primary place where children receive training and instruction in faith and spiritual practice. Leave that slide up there if you can for a while. Parents, look at it again and read it again. The primary place where your children will be influenced and grown is not in this building. It's a supplement. This place is good. We need the church. The church is part of God's design. But it is a supplement to your daily discipleship of your children. Parents, do not underestimate the profound potential that you have to disciple and influence your kids. You have so much potential. You have more influence than you think, and you have more influence than the church. You have more influence than the schools. And to prove that to you, uh, I got a little fun illustration that hopefully will lighten the mood as you're feeling, man, this guy's just hammering us today. I don't mean to, but I also want to be real with you. So here's the deal. Uh, in here, I've got some ping pong balls. Let's see if I can do this here. So I'll hold this up so everybody can see it. So when you look at the life of a kid, uh, each ping pong ball in this container represents 72 hours of influence, Okay. So in the life of your child from 0 to 18, if you bring your child to church twice a week for 18 years, this is how much influence the church has. 2,000 hours. That's it. Twice a week, 18 years, 2,000 hours. That's all the influence the church has right here. 
okay? That's good. We need the church. This is not bad. This is good. But look how small it is. If your kids go to public school or private school, then your amount of time that the school is going to influence your kids looks like this. This is 16,000 hours, okay? So if your kids are in public or private school, this is how much influence the schools have on your kids, and that's a topic for another time. Ask me after the service what I think about that, okay? Um, so here's the how much influence you have with kids going to school, okay? That's 16,000 hours. The church has 2,000 hours. The school is going to have 16,000 hours of influence. Now, parents, Christian parents, Fifty-four thousand hours, from zero to eighteen. Fifty-four thousand hours of influence, mom and dad. This is you. Now the question is, everyone has the same amount of hours of influence. The question is, what are you doing with it? You should bring your kids to church. This is a good thing. Keep coming. But look at the influence of the church on the life of your kid compared to you. We will pour into your kids. We will love them, serve them, and do all sorts of things to help them grow. Amen. We love it. The schools, no comment. But you, parents, you parents, look at the influence God has entrusted to you. What are you doing with it? And it's just important to know, if we think that we're just going to bring our kids to church twice a week for 18 years, we just hope they turn out great. We hope they just follow Jesus someday if we just get them to church. But they live with you. And every single day, you have an opportunity to point them to Jesus and to teach them about Jesus and the gospel and to model a life of faithfulness to King Jesus. So church, the, the church is a supplement. You are the primary Look at your influence. You know, I grew up in a church. I grew up in a lot of different churches in an abusive home, and it wasn't very good. And by the grace of God, this little ping pong ball over here was profoundly impactful for me because I didn't have this. I didn't have this hardly at all. So I had none of this. I had some of this, but I only had a few men in my life who invested in me and discipled me and led me to the Lord ultimately. So I will never discount the church, but church, don't forget parents. If you're a Christian parent, you have so much potential to have so much influence on your kids. Truth point number three. Truth point number three. We're about to wrap up here. God has designed parents to be the most influential person in their kids' lives. That's God's design. That's God's design. Are you living within God's design, mom and dad? How are you influencing your kids? And grandparents, think about this from your lens too. Grandparents, same thing. How are you influencing your kids, your grandkids? What are they seeing? Are they learning to love Jesus, the church, and the kingdom more than money, materialism, sports, careers? Are they learning to value faithfulness to God over just making a reputation in their own name for themselves? Are they learning humility and repentance in the home? Are they seeing a loving, Christ-centered marriage built on a covenant commitment rather than performance? Are you modeling for them the things that Jesus has asked you to model? 
Parents, you have profound influence, and my plea to you today is to step into God's design today. Do not worry about what you haven't done in the past. It's no, there's, no, there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. But from this point forward, resolve in your heart and your mind to get your life into alignment with God's design, to leverage your influence to raise your children to know the Lord, to be intentional, to come to this workshop right after this service where I will equip you with how do I actually do that. I have resources and training available, and I'd love to give those to you to encourage you and to help you to actually live this out daily starting today. Now, some of you might be feeling insecure, you might be feeling like a failure as a parent, and I get that, and that is not my heart or desire that you walk away feeling like that, and so I, hear, I want you to hear this. Parents, uh, I don't need a show of hands, but I'll go first. How many of us have failed as a parent? I have failed as a parent. I have been there. But that does not mean we are failures, right? We are not failures just because we have failed at one point. It means that we must rely on the grace of God. Remember that Christ, in Christ, you stand adopted into His family, forgiven of all sins. There is no condemnation, guilt, or shame for those who are in Christ. He loves you. Jesus' death on the cross proves that. He's not waving an angry finger over you. He's opening His arms saying, would you please come to me and follow me in this? He wants you to follow Him. And so I want to remind you... Um, you know, one commentator says it this way. He says, Christ's atonement covers our failures from God's eyes so that he only sees Christ's perfection when he sees us. So the good news of the gospel is today, mom and dad, is if you have failed, you're in good company. But the better news is that Christ has already died and bled and atoned for all the failures you've ever committed. So in Christ, we can battle that discouragement with the gospel. You know, another thing that I'll encourage you into is that when we read about the Apostle Paul, you know, he bragged about his weaknesses. We try to hide them. And I want to encourage you, be a person that's not willing to hide stuff anymore. If you're not good at stuff, go to Pastor Mark, go to the elders, go to the leadership and say, I need help. I just need help. Be humble. No one in this room is perfect and no one has it all figured out. I've had to do the same thing. I've been getting counseling all last year for things that I need help for. We all need help. Be willing to stop hiding and say, I need help with this. Brag about your weaknesses. You know, I'm weak in this area, but praise God, I've got a great church that's loving me and helping me grow into this thing. So that's the last thing I want to say. And for those of you here who may not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to remind you that Jesus Christ willingly laid down his life on the cross for all disobedient people, including Brett. People like you, people like me. And he offers forgiveness of sins, removal of guilt and shame. He offers eternal life, daily transformation, the indwelling of the power of the Holy Spirit. All of that is a free gift to those who would come to him in repentance and faith. So if you are not a Christian this morning, my plea to you is don't worry about any of this other stuff. Worry about Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus? Have you accepted him as your Lord and Savior? Have you repented of your sin and called upon him as Lord and Savior and King? Turn from your selfishness and your sin today. Confess your need for him. Believe that he is God, that he died on the cross, that he rose three days later, that he conquered sin and death, and that only through life in him will you be able to be forgiven of your sin and to pursue God's design for your life. Lastly, church, remember that you can't have a disciple-making church without a disciple-making family. 
Let's be disciple-making families together. And let's do our part to join Jesus in his mission that begins in the home. You can do it. God's entrusted you with it. You have the Spirit of God, you've got the Word of God, and you're sitting amongst the people of God. Those are three priceless gifts. Use them, leverage them to be in God's design for family. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you uh, would continue to stir and to encourage the saints here today. I pray, Father, that you would empower them by your Spirit to take action today wherever they need to take action that you would encourage the hearts of those who are discouraged, that you would lighten the load of those who feel heavy and burdened today, that they would come to Jesus to find rest for their weary souls. I pray for fathers, God, that you would ignite a fire in them that will never go out to lead their families, to lead their wives, to lead their children to the cross and to the gospel each day. Father, that they would no longer be content to do what the world does, they would no longer be content to let the church raise their kids, but they would raise their kids. Father, that the moms and dads would be in great unity together about this mission of family discipleship and that, God, we would see radical transformation in this church and in all churches around the country by the power of the gospel. We pray for Sioux Center. God, and pray that this community would be changed by the power of the gospel through the faithful witness of this church. Thank you for their faithfulness to the gospel and to you in Jesus' name. Amen.